Oh, the flow of God's love, the flow of God's grace, the flow of God's provision. The Bible describes it like a, like a river. He says uh, to the woman at the well, he said, it will be like a, a, an eternal water source in your life, welling up to eternal life. And think about it for a minute this morning. What is it that's going to last in your life? Three days from now, three months from now, three years from now, 3,000 years from now, what are you doing that's still going to be here? What are you doing that is going to outlast you? Thought about that? Is what you are building and building on and doing with your life something that's going to last forever? According to the scriptures... According to the Bible, there are two things that last forever. Two things. The Word of God and the souls of people. The Word of God and the spiritual lives of people. Those are the two things that will last for eternity. What God's given us, a huge privilege, is to bring together the Word of God, and the lives of people. Because when the Word of God is engaged and involved and inspired through the lives of people, their souls, their spirits, their lives can, the Bible says, have eternal life, everlasting life. Now that should be where you and I place our hope. That should be where you and I find our hope. It's not found in temporal things. I venture to say, most of what you've been involved with this week, good things, routine things, work, family, sports, activities, they will not matter in the long run. They're not, they're not going to be here. So we ask ourselves the question, what can we do to invest? What can we do to engage? What can we do to pour ourselves into something that's actually going to last forever. Now, now, the passage of Scripture that we get to look at today, we're back into the First Thessalonian book, the second chapter. We're looking at First Thessalonians chapter 2 today, verses 13 through 20, 12 through 20. And as we look at that, we see the Apostle Paul driving home these two things, <laughs> the Word of God and the lives of people. The Word of God and the soul's of people. And so I just want to encourage you as you examine this today, ask yourself, what can you do to change? What can be changed in your life, in your scope, in your vision of ministry that will last forever? What happens when hope fills a person's life, fills the church? Not the church building, but the church people. What happens when there is so much hope welling up in your heart and in your life that it cannot be contained? That's the picture we see in the church in Thessalonica, this place right around Greece where we see this uh, church that Paul got to teach three weeks. Three weeks is all he had to teach this young baby church, these new believers about who Jesus was, and he poured himself in to this these lives for two weeks. 
and he poured the word of God into their lives. And it made such an impact and such a difference. I would venture to say this church and the church in Philippi, the Philippian church, were just these favorite churches of the Apostle Paul because he saw so much fruit. He saw what happens when hope fills the church and what goes on when that, ha- when that takes place, when that happens. It was inspiring, and it's coming down 2,000 years now to us, and I hope today that it'll be inspiring to you as you read and think with me because the first thing I want you to jot down in your handout, if you've got your handout with you, there's an insert that's white. It just says, hope fills the church. When, when hope fills the church, when hope fills the church, <laughs> hope welcomes the word. What was the first thing I said was eternal? <laughs> the word of God. The Bible says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. You know, everything else in this world is temporary, but when God commands it, when God speaks it, when God's word is involved, it does not fail. It always accomplishes what he set out for it to accomplish in our lives. Hope welcomes the word. Yeah. Let's read this from chapter 2, verse 12. It says, it starts in the middle of a sentence because he's talked about loving them like a father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Now let me just stop there and say there's no way we, 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 we don't start our lives trying to be worthy to God because that would go against everything in the gospel. It's more as we've received God in our lives, like these guys had done, what you want to do as a child of God, as an adopted son or a daughter, you want to live your lives, what it says, worthy of God, who calls us into his kingdom and his glory. We're talking about kingdom thinking here today, the word of God and the souls of people as they combine. He says, live a lives worthy to God. And we also thank God continually. So let's camp out there for a minute. How thankful are we? How thankful are you for, it says here, because you continually received the word of God. We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. Underline that. The word of God of God, which is indeed at work. Underline that. The word of God at work. The word of God at work. Now think about this at work in you who believe. I want you to point out two different uh, uses of this word. Look at this first one here. You received the word. He was thankful that they received. Now this would be the kind of the external receiving. Almost like you are here today, you're hearing the word of God presented. And he's thankful that they, they got together for three weeks. He got to pelt them with the truth of the Lord, with the word of God, and they were able to receive it. They got it. It kind of came through their ear gate or their eye gate to their mind gate. <laughs> you know, it always starts there. It always starts as a receiving. And so one thing we can ask is how thankful are you for those around you 
and even for yourself, receiving God's word. This gift God has given us, this amazing gift that lasts forever, that is eternal, we receive it on a regular basis, and he gives it to us. This is like, uh, this is like the word if you were getting a FedEx package or a UPS package or something, and you signed that you had received it. Now, you haven't opened it yet. You haven't enjoyed it yet. You've just gotten it in your possession. That's what he's thanking them for. You received the package. You got the word of God handed, delivered to you. He says, I'm thanking God continually because when you received that word, you didn't just receive it, oh, well, you received it as a treasure, as a prize, as a gift. You accepted it as, not from a human being, but as it actually is, the word of God. Now, the second word here, this word, you accepted it. A little different than the receiving it. This is more when you go from the head, from the mind, to the heart, and you live it out. You receive it, and what's dangerous is if you just receive it and don't live it out, it can actually be counterproductive and be a miserable thing in your life. But when you receive it and you accept it for what it is, God's word, and you stand on God's word, and you obey God's word, and you live out God's word, he says there is something joyous, something praiseworthy, something worth thanking God for in your life. It's God's word. Every so often, one of my daughters, actually both my daughters, will call and they'll say, hey, um, we're thinking about some date night. Would you mind taking the kids? Okay? And we're all, I mean, so far, yes, 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 give them to us anytime. And so it's, it's bringing them, bringing them over. So that's kind of that first thing. Yes, we'll receive the kids. Then through the evening, we have accepted them, and we get to play out what it means to be grandparents. You know, the sugar or lack of sugar. The, you, know, you know the routines, right? And, and, and God gives us this receiving, and with joy, the joy that comes to us. He's saying, that's, that's what we saw as you received the word of God. You didn't just, okay, whatever. You accepted it for what it was, and you lived it out. It was going from your head to your heart to your life. And we could see, even in three weeks' time and now months' time, the expression of that lived out in your life. You know, if you, uh, some of you have your handout with you this morning. If you look at what we value as a church, it says uh, for newcomers, down there on the bottom, we list every week our values. Our values. What are the most important things? And I know we've listed here is six things that are our values. What's the number one thing on there? Everybody's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's for newcomers, so don't worry about it. No. <laughs> no, no, our number one value, our number one value is biblical teaching, is the word of God. 
And not just teaching from here. It's, it's where it's taught in small groups. It's where it's taught one-on-one. It's where it's taught in the classroom. It's, it's taught the Word of God, biblical teaching. There is no higher value. If we stop that, if we stop teaching the Bible and what God wants for us and who Jesus is, we might as well fold up and go home. We're just a social organization, and there's probably social organizations that can do a better job than we are. But we focus on the one thing no one else can focus on. we got the Word of God, the truth of the Lord. That's all we are. That's what we are. That is our purpose. I've had people call asking, are you a Bible-believing church? <laughs> yes. No. Are you a non-denominational Christian? Bible? Yes, that's who we are. Are. In fact, uh, it used to be the Billy Graham crusade, the Franklin Graham crusades, the um, Greg Glory crusades, and, and even the 12-step groups. When people would ask, what, what's the next step? If we're just growing like in an AA group to know a higher power, what if I really want to get to know that higher power? They were trained to say, find a Bible-believing church. Now, maybe they're still, I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but it's like, Wow, if you were in a Billy Graham crusade and you became a Christian in the crusade and you said, well, where do I go to a church? They'd always say, find a Bible-believing, vibrant church to get involved with. Why? Because that's where the life is. That's where the heart is. That's the, that's the only place that we find our long-term existence is in the Word of God. Now, the Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy. He said... Uh, as for you, continue in what you've learned. So it's not just you learn it and you walk away. He says, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy, this is to Timothy, from infancy you knew the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. I mean, that's where it's found. <laughs> salvation is found in the Scriptures. What do we say? Eternal life. That's what he's talking about right there. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. I mean, do you believe that? That the Scriptures are not just men's words. The Scriptures, according to this verse, are God-breathed words. Now, they've come through man. They've come through human agents. But God initiated, and God superintended, and God delivered God-breathed words for us. I encourage you about that because look what it says. All, teach all scripture is given and is useful. I, that's the important thing. Scripture is useful. Well, what's it good for? Well, what's this say it's good for? Well, it's first useful for uh, teaching. In fact, jot that down. Teaching. <laughs> Here's the picture. It's, it's like God's giving you the, the path to walk in. And he's saying, here's the best way to live your life. You want to live a productive and enjoyable, lead a, a, a life like I want you to lead? I'm giving you the teaching. I'm giving you the way. In fact, Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. He shows it. He shows it to us. It's kind of like when you uh, put on your GPS and you put in the location. I mean, this is the location. This is where you're headed. <laughs> Some of us were hiking yesterday, 
not even hiking. What would you call it? A walk in the park, a walk on the Ruston Way. <laughs> and we're going to the restaurant afterwards. We're going to uh, Rock the Dock. Have you ever been to Rock the Dock? Okay, fish and chips. So uh, we take a wrong turn. I think it was Bill Kep who told me to turn there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we should have obeyed the, the GPS, right? But, but here we are. We try to chart out the way, and the GPS is pretty good at saying here's the shortest distance to get there. Okay, that's kind of this idea, the, 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 the teaching, the path, the way. So on an everyday basis, on an every week basis, hopefully you're drinking in God's word and saying, what's the path for my life today? How can I be the best worker I can be in my work life? God tells you. How can I be the best neighbor I can be in this complex world? How can I be the best citizen of the United States? You think the word of God doesn't talk about citizenship? Now, it wants us to have our first citizenship in heaven. <laughs> but as we live out our lives here, what about brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters and friends? And it gives us every relationship and how to live them out and how to be wise. That's the teaching. All scripture is good for teaching. Go back there. What's the second word? Oh, we don't want to rebuke. And who wants to be rebuked, right? What's rebuke mean? That's when you're told you're going the wrong way. That's when, you, that's when the, uh, the GPS says, warning, warning, danger, danger, you're out of bounds. <laughs> it's like the, the soccer coach that blows the whistle because the ball's out of bounds. That's the rebuking. The Word of God is really good at telling us not just where the path is, but where the path isn't. When you've gotten off the path... What does the word of God do? Rebukes us. It says, hey, 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 time out, wrong way. This is bad. This will hurt you, harmful to you. But it doesn't just leave us <laughs> off the path. What's the third word? Correcting. Correcting. It's like, okay, now I know I'm off the path. What does the GPS usually say? Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. It usually has this little spinning deal. Uh, now they say uh, rerouting, rerouting. Because sometimes they'll even lead you a different way now that you've gone off the path a little bit. Is that biblical? I think there's kind of a biblical application there too. Rerouting to say get back on the track, get back on the path. God's got a way of life, a plan for living, relationships in him, plan for life that is going to be the best for you and for everyone else around you. So, teaching, rebuking, correcting. What's the last one? Training. Training in righteousness. So that's like to say, okay, last time you got off the track, how can you stay on the track and not take the detours? That's training. That's training. That's training in righteousness, not training in unrighteousness. You follow the idea? Okay. So the, the Word of God is useful. It's helpful. And if you're trying to live your life without the truth and leadership and guidance and direction of God's Word, no wonder you're failing at it. No wonder you're frustrated with it. He didn't mean for you to live your life without His teaching, without His rebuking, without His correction. And without his training in righteousness, he has a better plan. 
Most people don't know that. Most people look at the Word of God as some musty old thing that's talked to someone sometime, but it ain't for me. No, God's Word has practical, daily application. If I can encourage you to do anything, he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He wants you to be productive and to live a life that is filled with these things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what it's all about in God's word. So some of us need to uh, take a detour. Some of us need to take a U-turn and uh, let God show us the path. So when a church, when brothers and sisters are full of hope, they value, they value God's word. So let me ask you, do you value God's word? Are you a regularly intent on um, studying God's word? Do you have a routine where you're drinking on a regular basis from God's word? If you read God's word and you don't understand it, are you asking questions, sitting down with someone and being part of a, a study group? Do you have a deep and abiding appreciation for God's word? I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, the greatest gift God ever gave to man was his word. Now, some of us would head, uh, yeah, I agree with that. But if you look in your life, you say, am I really acting like it's his greatest gift to me? Am I utilizing it that way? Someone has said the biggest gap in the universe is the gap between the head and the heart. Because we can know something in our mind and have no application for it in our life. That's the danger. That's scary. So we're asking, God, will you help me to value and treasure your word? You know what Job said about God's word? Job said God's word was more important than life itself. David, he said God's word was more important than, than eating food. The other psalmist said, God's word was more important than sleep. Some of you are going, no way. <laughs> no, I'd rather sleep than read God's word. He says, no, this is even more valuable than that. One, one version says, more than treasures and gold. No, but I want treasures and gold. Do you want God's word more? Do you treasure God's word more? You know, this, uh, this week I was touched by a story a lady over at uh, the Mayan restaurant. And uh, this woman who'd come over here from South Africa as a Muslim, been over here a year, and she is just on fire for Jesus Christ. And so hearing the, the story, and it's like when she left South Africa, the one thing her mom made her promise as a Muslim, that she would not become a Christian. And uh, she said, don't worry, Mom about a year and a half ago. Don't worry, Mom, I'd never do that. Well, sure enough, she got here, and she got introduced to Jesus Christ. The Word of God took root in her life, and now I'm amazed. I mean, the, the, the contrast is amazing because what came, what came from where she was at to where she's at now, you would, never, you would never recognize her. The amazing change in a life from legalistic to grace-filled, 
And now she can't help but tell people all around her. She's just oozing the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, and it's coming out all over the place in her life. That's what God intends for all of us. That's what he wants for all of us, to let his eternal word meet up with, with people who need to know him, people who need to, to, to love him. So apply what you hear. Apply God's word. Make the application clear. Let's talk about the second thing in this passage. When people experience the love of God, when people uh, get to know him, suffering is inevitable. In fact, uh, so often we present Christ and we tell people that um, we give them a rose-colored glass. We give them the rose garden version. If you become a Christian, everything is going to be fine. All your troubles will be taken over and you'll just have an easy path. Well, now I, I described the best path the Word of God gives us, teaching, rebuke, correction, and training, but it's not without suffering. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, they persecuted me, and you are my followers, so guess what? Make the connection. They are going to persecute you. Persecution, suffering, will go with the plan. So, Lord, how does that work out? Wouldn't it just be a lot easier to avoid God, avoid his word, and not go through the suffering? Yeah. It would be a lot easier. Not better, but easier. So when you help people receive Christ, when you help them receive his teaching, don't sell them on you'll never have a problem in your life. You just heard the testimony of our sister here. It was actually through the difficulty in her life, guess what? She learned to trust. Her position now of saying, I learned I could trust him with anything, actually came through a hardship, didn't it? Not just persecution from the outside, although I would say the X might be <laughs> you know, harmful that way, but rather just it's going to happen. So hope endures the suffering. That's what Paul was seeing in this church. He was saying, you have been able to endure suffering because of this deep abiding word of God in your life. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sin to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. You see, the Apostle Paul here is blessing the church. And he's saying, you've had to endure suffering just like the other churches. And he's pointing to the church in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the Jews persecuted the Christians. Here in Thessalonica, their own countrymen, their own people. You know, that's often where persecution comes from. Within the family, within the friendship, within the neighborhood. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not the North Africans that, or the North uh, Koreans that come to persecute us. 
they persecute the North Koreans. Okay? The, the Chinese are not coming over here to persecute us. But they are persecuting their own people. So who's persecuting us? <laughs> Maybe it's the persecution of complacency and comfortability. It's the, the, the persecution of ease, maybe. I don't pray for persecution for the United States, but there's some fruit of persecution that I wish we had where the church is just burgeoning in other countries. In almost every case, it's a case where sharp persecution is taking place. So I look at the United States and I go, not one county in the United States, not one county in the last two decades has had any appreciable church growth. There have been flares and spots and some churches are doing well and some are dying. And you go, what's up with that? Here we don't have persecution. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's out of persecution that the church gets serious about the word of God and people. Maybe we've been so comfortable, we've taken so with such lax and easiness the word of God that we haven't been serious like these guys had to be. When they crossed the line and said, I am becoming Christian, it was like that Muslim girl who had to call her mom in South Africa and say, you know, I told you that I would never become a Christian. I reneged. I became a Christian. And to hear her mom say, you are no longer a part of our family or lives. Click. Whoa. That girl's got to be serious about her faith and prayerfully try to mend things with her mom. Would that change the, the, the tone of our lives? <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening. You suffered from your own people. Suffering is not the exception. It is the rule. It's not the exception. It's the rule. Paul suffered, the church has suffered. Jesus suffered, his believers suffered. Everywhere Paul went, <laughs> he gets thrown in jail. Everywhere I go, they say, would you like a cup of coffee? You know, big difference. Yeah. Not that I want to get thrown in jail, but I think the gospel would be fueled. In fact, the Bible, the um, verse I like, it says, the blood of the martyrs is actually seed for the gospel. One really practical way you can grow and team with those who are being persecuted. How many of you have heard of um, persecution.com, the voice of the martyrs? I've become a student of those who around the world are in a, a, a suffering situation. I team with them in my prayers. I team with them in my heart. And I encourage you, to do the same. Because just where we're comfortable and not under outright persecution doesn't mean we shouldn't. The Bible says, pray for our brothers and sisters as if we were imprisoned. Do you pray like that? Every month, I get a, basically it's a magazine. It's a newsletter from the Voice of the Martyrs indicating another, a different country and a different persecution. Every day I get a little email that says who to pray for. Now, that would inspire and encourage us to say no one is exempt and we need partners in suffering. No one should be going through suffering. No one was meant 
to go through persecution or suffering alone. So what's Paul say here? <laughs> he says, I want to come to you. He says, I want to be with you. Suffering is best with partners. Find uh, and hang out with some bold Christians. Find somebody that presses the envelope and hang out with them and ask that you would get some of that uh, boldness rub off on you. Paul says it this way, we who had previously suffered, this is Paul himself earlier in this chapter, we, we earlier had been suffered and were treated outrageously for the gospel. What happened to Paul? They beat him. They threw him in jail. Inside the inner prison, they put his hands and his feet in bonds, in, in chains. Now, he was treated outrageously just because he shared the love of Jesus, the gospel, with people. So if Paul was treated like that, everybody who heard Paul could expect to likewise be treated like that. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel, the word of God, and face the strong opposition. For the appeal, for the appeal we make does not spring from error and pure motives nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God. So God gives us this uh, partnership to endure suffering with. Last point, hope, it endures suffering, but it also seeks relational proximity. It, it seeks to be together. It's this partnership idea. Notice what uh, Paul says. He says, Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, let me just park on that for a minute. Notice the language. He's saying it felt so bad. I felt so hurt by being distant from you. It felt like an orphan. It felt like a child who'd lost his parents. He says, I, I, I was separated from you for a short period, in person, not in thought. He's like, I never forgot about you. It wasn't something that I could, you know, uh, mentally tune out. But I wasn't with you. I couldn't be in your presence. He got kicked out of town and run out on a rail, beaten and uh, suffering. But we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. Over and over and over, I tried to come to you. I tried to come to your town so I could, but Satan blocked our way. Underline that. Underline that. Isn't it interesting? Paul only had a couple of weeks to teach these people, but in the couple of weeks he had to teach them, he taught them there is an enemy who is blocking the way. There's somebody that I've told you about named Satan who is going to try to mess things up. And in this case, he blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, and our crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. It's a couple of things. Love draws us close. Love draws us close. We can't, when we experience the love of Christ, we, we want to be with others. We want to be in the presence of others who experience the love of Christ. What happens? We, we draw and gain strength from one another. We give strength to others. We give encouragement to others, but we receive as well. So he says, I want to come to you. I'm worried about it. I'm concerned so I want to be 
with you. That, that should be the driving motive. That should be the driving motive for our get-togethers. Get you should be saying in the middle of the week, I want to get together with some believers and study. I want to be into God's Word together with a small group. I want to look eyeball to eyeball with some other believers, and I, I'm passionate. I want to draw close. Somebody this week in one of our small groups said, we have been in a small group before, and we've never shared like this before. This is vulnerable. How can we be so vulnerable? We're driven to it because God's word draws us close to God's people who are eternal. That's the connection point. It should be that way for worship. It shouldn't be a drudgery, oh, another Sunday morning, got to go to church. <laughs> Someone said the other day, if absence makes the heart grow fonder, there's a lot of people who love their church. You know? And I'm not here. I mean, you're here, obviously. You know, you're here. But are you here with, with, with that joyful aspect that says, I long to hear God's word, to draw people out, to draw close to each other. And let me just say, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're settling for this level of fellowship, let me encourage you. The word is close. Sunday mornings are not designed to get people close. That happens at other times. So let me encourage you. Take another step. Summer's actually a perfect time for that because we tend to do things in the summer we don't do the rest of the year. <laughs> Grill meat out on the barbecue and spend time at the ballpark and do other things. So get yourself involved in a close, loving fellowship where God's word is highlighted and you won't feel orphaned. Notice that, that word that it said, intense longing out of our intense longing. I don't know, wh what do you intensely long for? You know, maybe it's not a felt need, but that's what it is for him. Intensely longing to draw close, make every effort let me list this one out, because this is uh, agape love. It's eternal. It lasts forever. Love keeps on trying. He says, I was blocked, but I tried a different way. And Satan blocked me, but I tried a different way. And, and then Satan blocked that, and I tried another way. I, I, I couldn't get there, so I sent Timothy to you to find out how you're doing. I couldn't get there. And he just, I'm, I keep trying. I keep trying. Love does not quit. Love does not give up. Even when it's hard, even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, love says, we will try to find a way. And it keeps on. Paul says again and again and again, they were blocked, but God showed him the way. Keep trying. Thirdly, love keeps the vision, keeps the eye on the prize. What's he say the prize is here? In a way, heaven. Not just heaven. What's he say the prize is? Let's go back to it. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we will glory in what? The presence of our Lord Jesus. What's he going to glory in? He says, is it not you? Are you serious? The Apostle Paul's joy, glory, crown, and hope wasn't just the relationship he had with God, because sometimes we settle for that. Well, it's God and me and nobody else. 
No. His joy, his glory, his crown was, I'm going to take as many men and women and boys and girls and people with me because that's my joy. That's my crown. I don't want to go to heaven and meet the Lord Jesus by myself. I want to take everybody I can with me. He says, that's the eye on the prize. Not heaven for you, but heaven for all. Are you getting the point? I don't know if we could be inspired and encouraged by Paul's position here to say, let's take the word of God. Let's take the lives of people. And he's intersecting us with so many people every day. Are we taking the gospel to them in that kind of fashion to say, you, you have the chance to be one of my joys. I want to see your life so blessed with the teaching, the rebuke, the correction, and the training in righteousness that you have joy in your heart and reach even others for him. What if God inspired and encouraged us to be like this, thankful for God's word and thankful for the people in our lives and to see those come together in the presence of the Lord Jesus? Because that's the perspective that I started out with. What's going to last? Notice he didn't say how many tents I've made. He didn't say how big my boat was. He didn't say how great my house was. I'm not going to go to the Lord Jesus and say, I owned all of this. He who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> you heard that bumper sticker, right? He's not bringing, you can't bring anything to heaven that's not people. You ain't taking that house, that boat, that anything. But you can take people with you. And that's what it's all about. That's 100% what it's about. So is what you're going to do this week, is what you're going to do today something that will be around in 1,000 years, 25 million years? There's only two things that are going to last forever. The Word of God and the lives and souls of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us a picture of the eternal today. Thank you for showing us and inspiring us to be engaged in those things that are lasting forever. Lord, would you show us your will, show us more perfectly your desire. Help us to, to throw away things that are temporary and to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the prize, the prize that is you, the prize that is others knowing you. Lord, drive us. Drive us to be more like you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not yet committed themselves to you, who has not yet opened up their lives to you, I pray this would be the morning, this would be the day that they would receive Jesus into their lives and just pray a simple prayer. It says, Heavenly Father, I receive you as my Lord, my Savior, the forgiver of my life. I trust in you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.